Hey everybody, today we're going to talk about fundraising. Fundraising is such an important topic in the adoption world. Adoption costs can be expensive, and that has to do with the complexity that is adoption. There are so many people involved in the process, and even multiple governments with international adoptions. It's a complex process, emotionally and financially, and we need help from others. There are grants and programs that can be a huge help, but sometimes these programs can't release funding until the adoption is almost finalized, so it's important to have other strategies in mind. Bethany Hoffman is my guest today, and she is going to share six tips for asking those closest to you for help with the financial cost of adoption. Welcome, Bethany, to Adoption Hacks. It's so great to have you. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here today. So fundraising is definitely the number one question or comment I hear when I talk about adoption. Everyone always wants to know how to do it. Is it possible? And so um, so you are real, really experienced in this area. So tell us just a little bit of your background with raising funds. So from a fundraising perspective, um, I've raised funds both personally um, to, to go overseas as a missionary, um, and most of that fundraising was done among churches and individuals. And then I also spent a couple years raising funds for a nonprofit organization. I do have a master's degree in nonprofit fundraising, so that's where kind of the background and the interest came from. Um, but then as far as adoption, too, I've just, I've loved adoption since I was a kid. I've always wanted to be connected to adoption and kind of thought I would work with adoptive families in some capacity. And what is your approach to fundraising? When it comes to funding adoption, a lot of people try to start by funding it themselves. Um, they start with their own savings account. They apply for loans. Um, but I believe that there's a lot of money out there that, that applying for loans should be a last resort. And so... Um, People start with their own savings accounts, then they ask strangers because if they're going to ask for money, it's a lot more comfortable to ask strangers. And um, then they'll do fundraising activities, like a lot of people say, have a garage sale, um, start a, a lot of people start multi-level marketing businesses to fund their adoptions, um, but most people never ask the people closest to them. And I can understand why, because it's just, it's hard to ask people close to you for money. If you're going to ask, you're going to ask strangers, but... Mm-hmm. My approach is ask the people who are closest to you because they're so invested in your daily life, and they're the ones who are going to watch this child grow up. They're the ones mm. who are going to be around for Christmas, for holidays, in your family's life. Um, so while it's uncomfortable to ask anybody for money, my approach is ask your tribe. And how would you define a person's tribe? Uh, those are the people that are closest to you. Um, so I would say start with the who are the people who you send Christmas cards to every year? Who are the people you have um, invited to your wedding or you invite to a baby shower? Who are, if you think about it in terms of a bullseye, concentric circles, the people at the bullseye in the center are the people who are closest to you. They're usually your family members, your closest friends. And then as you get to the more exterior circles, you might get out to like kind of friends or acquaintances, um, people that you see on a regular basis, but you don't know deeply. And so your tribe is always going to be the people closest to the center, even if you branch out a little bit in that circle. And I think that those are the people who, like you said, they want to help you. They want to be a part of your family. I had a baby a month ago. And um, so in the course of planning a baby shower, I was very surprised at the number of people, and some of them I didn't know very well, who just wanted to be involved. And so, you know, they're people who... Baby gifts came out of the woodwork, 
Um, I ended up setting up a registry, not expecting to get a lot of things on it because I've only lived in the area that I'm in for a couple of years. And I thought my tribe here is not very put together. People mm-hmm. came out from all over the place. They cooked meals. They offered to clean my house. And I wow. was just shocked that I had this kind of tribe. And so I realized like, you know, if I, if I were going to adopt and I put all my hopes in my own savings account, I'm missing out on a huge opportunity to involve mm-hmm. other people who want to be invested in major life events. Um, if I, if I ask strangers, um, chances are I'm going to get a lot of no's because these are people who aren't invested. Um, it's easy to say no to somebody who's a stranger, to somebody that you don't know very well. Um, it's easier to say no to the girl selling Girl Scout cookies at Walmart, you know, but it's harder to say no if it's my kid who's selling Girl Scout cookies at Walmart, you know. And so it's easier to say no when there's a, a removed, when you're a little bit removed um, mm-hmm. from who that person is. Yeah. And part of my approach too with this is that, you know, you'll know, you'll know that there's grants out there. You know that there are opportunities out there to ask strangers for money. Um, but it's really easy to say no when there's an organizational process or there's a protocol or um, there's a committee that has to meet and decide if they're going to give you money. But it's really hard for people to say no if you are sitting down across from the table from them and, um, and you look them directly in the eye and you say, hey, would you like to participate? Would you like to be a part of uh, my growing family? Would you like to help create a forever home for a child? You know, they, they can make a split decision in the moment. They've got a checkbook or a way to give. And um, it's really hard to say no in that situation. So that's part of the reason I'm a big fan of just asking your tribe directly. Something I experienced with our adoption was that a lot of people just don't know how expensive adoption is. And so they don't even know that there's um, a need necessarily. And so just sharing that with them opens up doors. And that means that you'll have to do a little bit of education. Like, you know, when people find out that it is so expensive, they might not understand why. So you're going to have to break down the costs of what things go into an adoption that's thirty-five dollars or $40,000. Why does it cost so much? Who gets that money? Um, But that will help them understand why there's a need. Uh, Why do you think this approach is better than um, doing, like, fundraising activities and events? One of the things I see with fundraising activities is that you spend a lot of time and a lot of effort, um, and there's just not a great return on it. Chances are you're going to have to diversify the opportunities to get income streams to fund your adoption. You're not going to be able to just ask everybody and come up with thirty-five dollars or $40,000. But if you try to rely on things like garage sales, which everyone will tell you, hey, you know, it's a great idea, but chances are you don't have $35,000 worth of stuff laying around your house, you know, that you can just sell. And so um, I just, I see a lot of people invest loads of time and just get a few hundred dollars in the end. So when you ask people, especially if they've got a real affinity toward you or your family or adoption, you might get a couple people who can just write a check for $1,000. You're mm-hmm. not going to get that with a garage sale or starting your own business. It's a lot harder work. Yeah, very true. So to recap, a lot of people rely on themselves first, and then they go ask strangers for money, and then they ask their tribe. I want to encourage you to flip that around and ask your tribe first, and then ask strangers and then rely on your bank account or your loan opportunities or whatever. Flip that around. So what are some tips for when you do ask your tribe? Great question. 
So first of all, I would say start by preparing your budget um, because your budget can vary widely depending on how you're adopting, whether you're adopting through foster care, um, in which most cases a lot of your funds, you just have a smaller budget to raise. Um, international adoption is the most expensive, so that can range thirty-five dollars to $40,000. But this is really important to start with so that you, but also other people, can understand why adoption is so expensive. Um, but you also need a clear picture of when your installments are due because you have one amount of money that's due when you initially apply. You'll have some, amount, some money due at the time of your home study. Some you won't need to pay for until it's time to travel to, to pick up your child. Um, but you want to know when those things are due along the way so that people can help you at different stages. Somebody told us that when we were fundraising that it helps if you have deadlines for different aspects because if people think they have two years that they could give to you at any time, they will probably wait till the very end of the two years. <laughs> Absolutely true. I've, I've totally found that with um, raising funds to be a missionary. They wanted to wait until mm-hmm. I was ready to go. And um, the more you can build in that urgency, the better off you'll be. So why now? And having those multiple deadlines just helps with that. You know, and some people really are excited about getting you started. They want to be the one that gives the first gift. And then some Mm -hmm. people are really excited about finishing you up and they want to give the last gift. Mm -hmm. Um, So the more opportunities you have to give along the way, the better off you'll be. Creates that urgency every time. Uh, Second of all, I'd say prepare your list of people that you're going to ask. We talked a little bit about this earlier about who is your tribe, who's at the bullseye, um, and chances are the people at the center of the bullseye are going to be more likely to give. You can't always count on that, um, but that's, that's what you're trying to think of. And so go back to your Christmas card list. Go back to who you invited to your wedding. Think about who you see on a regular basis every day. Um, in fundraising circles, the people who are most connected to you, uh, whether or not they care that you're adopting, they're connected to you, and those are the people who are most likely to give. Hmm. So next, I um, want to encourage you to prepare the, the way that you're going to host gifts that people give. So where are people going to send the money that they give? Um, can, you give can they give through your adoption agency? You might ask your adoption agency if any part of the agency's fees is tax, dedu- tax deductible. This only applies to people who give to the the agency on your behalf. It doesn't apply to your payments toward their services. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could run their, your, some of your funds through them because people will feel comfortable giving to an agency like that. You might be able to run the funds through your church. Uh, you might opt to have people give to you personally. And if you go this direction, um, just investigate. Do you want them to give through PayPal? Do you want them to give through Facebook? Uh, some people will have different comfort levels in giving through places they've never heard of or they, you know, don't think are very um, reputable. There is an option that I found that I really think is cool, but I will warn you it's got um, fees attached to it, but there's this place called plumfund.com. It's P-L-U-M-F-U-N-D.com. If you've ever heard of Honey Fund, Honey Fund is a place where when people go on their honeymoons, they can say, give us a, a night in a hotel or pay for a rental car. So Plum Fund does the same thing, but you can do it for anything. And so you can set up on there, like, we need um, 10 gifts of $100 to pay for our home study, or we need $2,500 to cover our airfare to China to, to pick up our child. Um, and this allows you to kind of break it down in a way that people can see what they're giving to. It feels a little bit more tangible than just giving you a cash gift. But in whatever method you choose, 
um, I would recommend that you, ad you open an adoption-specific savings account just so you've got some accountability and it doesn't get lost in your general bank account. Um, so you can kind of see the, the income and the outflow. And it's really important that you be accountable, that you be trustworthy. Because um, some people are totally happy giving you a cash handshake. And other people, especially if they're giving larger amounts of money, might want a receipt or might want some security that the money that they're giving is actually going to your adoption and not funding a fabulous vacation somewhere. Yeah, good tip. <laughs> um, next, I want to encourage you to prepare your story. You need to be ready to answer a lot of real specific questions, but the ones that are most important is why you. So you'll, you've got to answer the question, what led you to adopt? Is this a God thing? Is this a thing that's been over the course of your life? Um, is this a recent thing that no one has heard of you talk about? So why you? Why now? And that helps build in that urgency so that, you know, there's a need for it to happen now and not two years down the road. And then why should they be a part of this? So... Mm -hmm. You've got to make it about something a little bit bigger than yourself. It's not about just making your personal dreams for a family come true. You're saying, I want you to be invested in our family over the long haul. Be a part of building a family, giving a child a forever home, something that's a little bit more eternal or meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and let me tell you, when you're asking for, for money and it's not about you, it's much easier to ask for money. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it's so personal. Yeah, that's true. For fundraising and for anything, just to always have that an answer for that ready because I get asked that all the time and sometimes people want to hear the whole the whole story that could take forever and sometimes people just want a, a thirty second answer to that question. But it's nice to have all those versions just ready to to share for whoever. That's a great point to have multiple versions of it because. You know, if you're writing something out for a fundraising page online that you're going to share on Facebook, you might want a short or clipped version. But if you're sitting down across the table from somebody and having coffee, you've got the luxury of sharing a little bit deeper. And that's mm -hmm. what they're going to want. So be ready to customize because none of this stuff is one size fits all. Speaking of social media, is that something you um, you think is worthwhile sharing this, your story on, on social media? Absolutely. Because I think every once in a while, I mean, I don't think that you can put all your eggs in that basket, but every once in a while, you're going to touch the hearts of people who don't know you, have never heard of you, but are touched by adoption. And they're going to say, okay, I can give, you know, again, it's a stranger, so it might be just a token gift. Um, it might be a small thing or a one-time thing, but you just never know what might come out of it. So put your story out there, share it a little bit, encourage your friends to share. Um, don't make that the sole place that you're asking for funds because the more personally you ask for funds the more successful you'll be I was I remember being surprised by that um by the people who oh, oh, I hadn't spoken to since maybe I was in elementary school but we were friends on on Facebook and they saw something about it and something just connected with them as far as adoption so um, you just um, never know. And I, yeah, people that are friends with you on Facebook, they're part of your tribe. They're part of one of the outer circles because you haven't talked mm -hmm. to them since elementary school. But mm -hmm. I'd still consider them on that grid in your tribe, mm -hmm. which is why they're worth asking. I would also encourage you to prepare responses to some follow-up questions. So hopefully in your story, as you prepared it, wherever you share it, you're going to answer the basic details, who, what, when, where, why, how. But the follow-up questions might need to include things like, when do you need the money, the different installments of amounts that you have to pay, um, your different financial deadlines? 
You might be answering questions like, where are you adopting your child from if you're doing international? Um, some people are really curious about what happens if your adoption falls through, mm-hmm. um, which happens occasionally. So what's your backup plan? Um, mm-hmm. And they might want to know, do I get my money back? You know, if your adoption falls through, in which case the answer is probably no, because um, yeah. you've already paid it in. This is the place where you may need to help educate people um, you know, what, what's involved in the cost of adopting a child? Where does all that money go? And so um, this is a great time for you to, to unpack the fact that while you can handle the, uh, the ongoing long-term cost of raising a child, the initial adoption fees, which can range from $2,500 maybe if you're doing a foster adoption to $40,000 if you're doing a private international adoption, these things can overwhelm couples who, even if they're financially stable and great at saving money, they don't have that, that pocket change. Mm-hmm. So, And the last tip I'd give you is to prepare your heart. Chances are there's going to be a lot going on in your head. Um, there's going to be battle in your mind. And so I want to encourage you to ignore the voice that says you shouldn't ask for help. Really, your tribe, these are people who care about you. Um, and being dependent on them is biblical. So just remember that you're offering them an invitation to participate. And if they say no, no is a perfectly acceptable answer. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you, guard your heart against holding grudges when the people that you expect to give don't give. Um, this is something I dealt with when raising funds as a missionary. There are people that I thought, you are my tribe, you are my family members, and they were not people who gave financially. They gave in other ways later. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that creeps in. Be very grateful um, because when you ask your tribe, these people are going to be around for a long time. That's your Mm -hmm. community. And when you ask people, uh, you're going to get a lot of advice. And so just learn to ignore the naysayers, the people who say it's not going to happen. Learn to ignore (laughs) most of their advice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the condition of your heart is such an important piece. I hate to put it last. Um, But that's, I mean, it's an important piece of preparing your heart for for asking. And then once you've prepared all those things, you have nothing left to do but ask. Be bold. Go ask somebody face-to-face. Practice if you need to with somebody that you trust. And, uh, and ask again. So you have lots of opportunities to give updates on how things are going. And every time you can ask again. Ask every time you have a financial deadline. Uh, like I mentioned, some people like to give the first gift. Some people like to give the last gift. Some people mm-hmm. cannot help you financially the first time you ask, but something happens in their financial situation and they can give later on. And so mm-hmm. don't be afraid to ask. It's just an invitation and they can say no freely. What do those conversations look like? Like, do you suggest just, you know, asking someone out to coffee or writing letters or like how, what do you think is best? That's a great question. I think always the more personal you can do, you can be, the more personally you can ask someone, the better off you'll be. So when you write a letter, it's a it's a good thing to do, but there's still a step removed, and it's easy to say no. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting across the table face-to-face with them, so ask them to coffee and say, you know, don't beat around the bush about what it's about. Say, I'd like to tell you a little bit about um, our adoption and what God is leading us to do and invite you to be a part of it. Can we schedule coffee? When you're sitting down with them, make sure it's two-way interaction because you care about what's going on in their lives as much as they care about what's going on in your life. Um mm-hmm. But, but share with them about how this progressed, where you are, and just say, 
I want to know if you'd like to be a part of it financially because this is what we're facing. Mm-hmm. And then give them a chance to respond. In fundraising circles, they always say, after you make the ask, the first person to speak loses. And not really mm-hmm. loses, but a lot of people get so caught up in the, um, I have to fill the space with words and I'm uncomfortable with silence. So ask and then pause and give them time to think about it. Give them time to ask follow-up questions. Tell them they don't have to decide today, but give mm-hmm. them a chance to respond yes or no. And um, yeah, as personally as possible. Thanks so much to Bethany for preparing those helpful tips for us. I hope it's a great resource. Funding takes work and vulnerability, but trust me, it is possible. In a few weeks, I will do another fundraising episode where we discuss employee assistance, grants, and other ways to creatively fundraise. But the steps Bethany laid out are crucial ways to launch your funding. If there's a topic you would like to hear on the podcast, email me at adoptionhexinfo at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. 